Well, it is a personal joy to be at Canaan and, of course, see the Lebees again. And thank you, Nathan, wherever you are, for that wonderful... Where is he? Okay. Oh, now you're on the camera. Okay. <laughs> Multitasking, huh? That was wonderful. Thank you for that. And certainly, I want to thank Pastor Ingram for inviting us. And certainly, uh, I'm thankful for his ministry. You ought to be very grateful that God has given you a great preacher and a great pastor. Any church that has a pastor and a preacher is a blessed church. So how do you know he's a pastor? I just saw it on the screen. I'm thankful for the kind of pastor he desires to be because that's the duty of the pastor. One of them is to shepherd the flock and so I'm thankful for him and thankful for his ministry. If you'll stand with me this morning out of respect for the Word of God, let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I'll give you time to turn there. Beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 6. Luke chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Follow along as I read aloud. And it came to pass, as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees, to eat bread on the Sabbath day, <clears throat> that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. That means he was swelled up, he was retaining fluid, he was sick. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them, saying, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit? And will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this morning. And Thank you for the parables of our Lord and the great truths that are found in the parables. Pray you help us to do justice to this parable this morning, that you might be glorified. And so we pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak as only you can through the Word of God. And we pray for your divine leadership for these short moments we have together. They're eternal ones, and I pray we'll think in terms of eternity. We'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The setting here is an occasion of hospitality. It's a reception of sorts. But as we read quite well here, that something different about this reception, something different about this invitation that is given, because we're told in verse 1, and they watched him. Now why did they watch him? Because... The enemies of Christ, let's put it this way, when Jesus Christ walked into any setting, they knew there was something different about him. See how you know that? Nicodemus saith, said to him, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And the first reply of our Lord to Nicodemus was that he needed to be born again. It is true that when Jesus Christ uh, came into any setting, 
You had to do something about him. It was required. So they're watching him. They're watching, and I'm thinking they're saying, what's he going to do? What's going to take place? Put it this way. The enemies of Christ will always seek occasion to discredit him. The enemies of truth will always take the occasion to discredit truth. The enemies of good and right will always seek occasion to discredit that which is good and that which is right. They're watching him. They, of course, have ulterior motives. And as, as we tell, as we see there, that they're wondering what he's going to do. Well, he healed the man and let him go. And, and, and then he, he, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And then he says, if you have an ass or an ox falling in a pit, would you deliver him? And the Bible says both times they do not answer him. You see, because to answer him would require honesty. To answer him would require integrity. To answer him would, would require coming to the truth. So they didn't answer him. Why? Because they had no answer for him. Because they were, in their motives, wanting to seek occasion against him. If you read on with me in verse 7, he put forth a parable to those, uh, parable, excuse me, to those who were bidden. Notice when he marked how they chose, not the chief, chose out the chief rooms, saying unto them. So he's watching them. Now, they were watching him initially, and he healed the man and sent him on his way. But they forgot that he was watching them too. And he was watching how they chose the chief seats. He was taking account of that. I remember years ago, pastoring my very first military church, and a an officer who was a nurse at the hospital and her husband, who was retired military, uh, came to visit the church. And uh, they came a number of times and, and uh, I was concerned because he, was a, he got a job as a car salesman on the base, Toronto Air Base, Spain, back in the 1980s. So I wondered, they walked down the aisle one Sunday morning, they'd been there a few times, and walked down the aisle, and they said, we want to join the church. And I said to him, I need to talk to you first. You know why I said that? Because I didn't want him to join the church just so he could sell more cars. I want to make sure that he was coming for the right reasons, and so I said, I need to talk with you first. And he said to me, what do we do? I said, go back and sit in your seat. And that's what he did. Now, it wasn't unkind. There are friends today. He appreciated the fact that somebody was going to hold him accountable for the decisions he's made because your pastor has a responsibility before Almighty God to be the overseer. That's one of his responsibilities, to be the overseer, therefore, as a shepherd, protecting the flock. And I was committed to doing that. 
a number of years after that, we inherited a man who was well able to lead music and work with choirs. He had done so in a military church before overseas. And, and uh, he came to us, and he was a good man. But he had been taught that his ministry belonged to him with no oversight. So quite often he would offend the other musicians. Well, that didn't work when that takes place. And I brought him aside and talked to him and said, you know, you, this can't continue. You are making it about you and it's not about you. Well, finally I had to say to him, you're just going to have to sit down. I'll find somebody else. The guy I found was not nearly as talented, but more, much more joyful in the Lord. And uh, though he was not as practiced, and I'm not against practiced musicians, and I, I mean, Nathan did a wonderful job. I'm, I'm for all of that. I'm just trying to say that Jesus Christ marked how they chose the chief seats. He was watching them. He was watching for the fact that they had bad manners. They were not thinking in terms of, well, what he said was, you should, when you go into a setting, choose the lower seat and then be invited up. What he was saying is, humility ranks very high with God. Position doesn't rank. Men who seek position don't rank very high with God except those who say, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ is saying to them, and he gave two principles of social order. He said, emptying self is the true way to exaltation. Those seeking position and chief places were ex excluded. Those not gained the chief places. Then he goes on to tell another story. Notice what he says. Let's read the end of, the, of chapter, let's read the end of verse 11, excuse me. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Make sure you stay humble. Make sure you never make it about you. Amen? It's about him. He'll use you. If you make it about him, he'll put you on the shelf if you make it about you. He said also to him that bade him, so this is the one who invited him, which was supposed to be fellowship and hospitality. He said, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they bid thee again and recompense be made unto thee. So he's using the word lest, and he uses two different times. He says, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. You see, he's talking about, in the first parable, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden to climb higher, lest they also bid thee again and recompense. He said, don't, don't act on the basis of position and the recompense. You say, well, how does that, what does that mean in a church? One of the things that a church exists for, other than glorifying God, of course, 
and preaching his word, is that people would walk into a place and they would find a home. In whatever state they're in, in whatever situation they're in, in whatever circumstance they're in, in whatever case they're in, they can walk in and they do not, they find a place of hospitality and fellowship. Amen? That's what they'll find. And uh, when God's grace is working like it should be, that's what takes place. And so, so Jesus Christ is rebuking those who were choosing position above service. He was rebuking the one who invited him, saying, uh, you invite only for the sake of re- receiving again. In verse 15, one of them that sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So at that moment, someone in the crowd spoke a genuine exclamation of admiration for what he was hearing, what they were hearing. They realized that Jesus Christ was setting a new order in place, which, by the way, he set in the Sermon on the Mount, and he began with those Beatitudes that start the Sermon on the Mount. And so this person is realizing that something is being taught that's brand new to them, and, he's, and he understands that the places of honorable, honor only go to those who are honorable, and order is in which hospitality is service-oriented and never self-seeking. So in this setting of bad-mannered guests and a host who did not understand hospitality, Jesus Christ speaks this parable. Look with me, if you will. Verse 16. A certain man made a great supper and bade many. Now, we're talking about the imitation the host was the first host was bad mannered. This host that he begins to speak about probably is himself. Let's go on and read. And sent his servants at the supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray that thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out of the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those which were bidden shall taste of my supper. So a host prepares a feast and issues invitations. All of the guests who were invited decline, making all kinds of excuses. And by thousands of people today are out, kept out of the kingdom of God because of materialism, possessions, wealth, because of business, because of human affection. And so, so they all decline. So he goes out and says, go invite some new guests, the poor, the blind, the maimed, the lame. Still room, 
It says, go out and compel them to come in. Now, why would everyone decline? Because they did not respect or love the host or like the host. And they were in objection to the one who sent out the invitations. And so there was one, though, who admired the new ideal. But just to admire something, to accept it, to submit it, to enter into it is quite another thing. So basically, this person says, this is, a, this is a new truth, this is something new to us, but now to enter into it, that's the important thing. So as he tells this story, he says the nature of this kingdom that he's speaking of, the nature of that is that it is a gift. It's offered to man an invitation to enter into a new order of life as a gift of grace. That's the invitation. Nobody could enter except at the invitation of the host. The refusal of those who made the excuses is what kept them out of the kingdom. The man who said he was going to see land, was not truthful. The man who said he was going to look at oxen was not telling the truth either. The man who said he had married a wife was a fool. He could have brought her with him. These were all excuses. The real reason behind the fact that they rejected the invitation of the host was hostility against God. Today, the host gives the invitation, doesn't he? He's not willing that any should perish should all come to repentance. Amen. He's a God of grace. It's an act of grace that he would even offer that. And, and the invitation is there. And then it's in the court of those who receive the invitation as to what they do with that. Now those who rejected him had their minds on earthly, fleshly, material things. They did not know him. They did not understand him. And this imitation speaks of the simplicity of salvation. It speaks of the availability of it. It speaks of the responsibility a person has to act upon when God invites. Aren't you glad for the day that you heard how to be saved? I remember Brother Jensen talking about Roger Blevins. Kept it. Where are you, Brother Jensen? Oh, there you are. Okay. How Roger kept after him and kept after him and kept after him and kept inviting him and kept after him and kept after him. And the Blevins were a great blessing to us when we were in Spain. One of the first missionaries we met and what an encouragement. I know he's with the Lord now, but what a blessing they were and how wonderful he kept giving the invitation. You see, the right of entry is none other than the imitation of the host. Those who make excuses don't know their own deep needs. They could not realize what they're missing. They had no respect for the one who had invited them. I suppose they expected maybe they'd have another chance. But you know, God's invitation is not a suggestion. It's a command.
My dad's cousin, Cecil, heard the gospel through a soul-winning church in Ottumwa, Iowa, back in the 1950s. He got saved. Cecil began to, he and his wife, who got saved, began to, and I know Cecil's an old, old name, but so we're going back quite a ways. <laughs> North Court Baptist Church in Ottumwa, Iowa is a real soul-winning church in its day. And today it's Calvinism and all that kind of stuff. But at one time, it was a door-knocking, soul-winning church. Uncle Cecil, cousin Cecil, my dad's cousin, went to my Uncle Don and said, I want you to come to church, invite you to church. And so Uncle Don and Aunt Doris responded to the invitation. They came. Uncle Don was a wonderful man. He'd been with the Lord for a long time now. But Uncle Don and Aunt Doris got saved. Well, Don, being the youngest of four brothers, really got a burden for his brothers. And so he began to witness to them. And his oldest brother was a farmer there in Iowa, and there's some estrangement in the family, and that's not important at this time, but he got his older brother and wife to come to church six weeks in a row. And they heard the gospel. We don't know if they got saved or not. My, my Aunt Betty, I talked to her later on before she went on to eternity, and she said she'd gotten saved long ago, and I hope so, and I hope that's true. I don't know anything about Uncle Clayton because... One Memorial Day weekend, he had one more row and he'd be finished in the field that day. He's on his tractor. He's coming right to the turn to go back on the last row and a bolt of lightning strikes him right in the middle of the back and instantly kills him. Aunt Betty looks out the window. The tractor's going around in circles. She knows something's wrong. The other three brothers are a number of miles away on a higher elevation in Ottumwa, Iowa, and they've all got together, and Clayton didn't come, and so they're out there, and, and they see the bolt of lightning. One cloud in the sky. They see the bolt of lightning, and they say, that hit something. Yes, it hit their oldest brother. I hope he came to know the Lord. He's in eternity. During and before that time, Uncle Don started talking to my dad. Now, my dad, you know, he was one of those kind that, you know, there's things wrong with the Bible and all of that kind of stuff. And in 1957, he's out in the field picking corn and he doesn't turn off the power takeoff. And shucks get caught in the conveyor belt, and so he just jumps off the tractor, reaches in with his left hand to pull those shucks out, and grabs his hand, just like that. For two hours, he's out in the field with his free hand waving at people going by, but they're too far away. It's grinding away. He has an old knife he sticks between the rollers, which that, by the way, saved his life. And until the tractor ran out of gas, he was stuck inside of that. 
He gets in his car. He's miss, he's, this, thumb, this finger is completely gone. He puts, it in a, he puts a glove on with the finger in it and drives home. And he comes in and I hear him. I hear him say, Mom, we've got to go to the hospital. Now, he's, you know, I mean, this finger is gone. Part of the thumb is gone. Obviously, he's bleeding. Tough old farmer, he drives home first. He doesn't go to the hospital. But God used, you see, God knew that he would have a son if he could get saved, and he did. The son would get saved at nine years of age. They called to preach at 19 and go into missions and see multitude of people saved. 10,000 people have come through our ministry. And God knew that ahead of time. I'm glad he responded to the invitation. There's no good reason for not responding to the invitation. Except that men are proud and sufficient of themselves and like to make excuses and like to hide behind their business or their relationships or their labor or whatever the case may be, thinking that they may have another chance. Uncle Clayton didn't have another chance. I hope he got saved. You see, the enemies will always seek occasion against those who are standing for truth. And by the way, that's even more true now, today. You realize that if you are a Bible believer and you love God, that somehow you're a problem now in this culture? It's really changed a lot, hasn't it? But remember this, through it all, he's watching how you, how you operate, how you live. And then also he's giving invitation to whosoever will may come and it's wise to respond to that invitation. Let's stand together, our heads bowed and eyes closed.